the word of the Lord from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer would there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our midweek theme comes from the passage to Revelation that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of that theme for midweek Lent 5, the river of life as the waters of life. There are some things that you just can't object to. If you were in the desert for a while and because of that you got very thirsty, you could not walk up to the only tap in the region and say, I don't want this water. Now, I suppose there could be all kinds of reasons why you might not want it, though. Someone might be thinking that they don't like the taste of this tap. Someone might think that the bubbles from this water tickle the nose too much. Someone might think that it's in the desert and far too warm to be drinking and getting relief from the heat. I guess it's not hard to object to any of those things, but it's obviously crazy to object to the one thing that can save you to such an extent that you would just not drink it. Still, that's the way we are about some things. And in particular, many object to the one tap of the water of life. They just won't come to it, no matter what is killing I don't know if you can picture it, but try to imagine being a Christian in a place and a time where you are, by definition, a criminal and subject to execution. You could be gathered up at any time to be destroyed. That is what is going on in the time of John, who wrote these words. He himself is locked away in a penal colony as he writes all these things under persecution and threat of death. His people are looking on, and they are afraid to be Christians, and even more afraid to be godless. It is hard being afraid, but they have seen the truth and have nowhere to run. The truth that holds them is that they are sinners, just like you. They thirst for a better righteousness. They must have better. They are running in search for eternity, which is impossible for a sinner alone. They search for the peace of mind and heart, which they cannot have as sinners alone. They despair for a world that could love them, and in a world of sinners, they cannot have it. And all around is just more trouble. 
If they look to the world or anything in it, they must eventually despair. So what can they do? They must turn to the only tap in the desert, the one thing that can save them. The problem is that it is dangerous in this world to be there at that tap. Like antelopes at a waterhole, the predators of this world are there. They may think seriously of staying in the woods, but there, in hiding, they would certainly perish without the water of life. The only difference between the people of John's time and us is perspective. They had their destroyers coming right at them, and that must be terrifying without much thought. It isn't quite so obvious to us, but that does not mean that we live with a different summary of the truth. Certainly, persecution of Christians, not to mention almost every other culture and creed, is on the rise. Certainly, at least in difference to the Christian message, and life is becoming constant in this country. Certainly, godliness is far from apparent all around us. It must be obvious by now that it won't be long before this country is treating Christians as the world does. If you're wondering how the rest of the world is doing, consider Darfur. That is a persecution of Christians. Consider that the 20th century saw more Christians persecuted and murdered for their faith than all of the centuries before added together. This century is already worse than the rest. It won't be long before it comes here to you, to your already precarious life. Even still, though such things are looming, they are not here just yet. But there is a larger problem, and it is exactly the same one that John's flock was suffering with. Sin haunts us with accusations of failing bodies. Sin haunts us with weakness of mind and will. Sin haunts us with terrible expectation of death and condemnation. We need an answer, like the people of John's time. You hunger for a better fate than death. You long for a better way than eternally standing in the condemnation of your God. If you would despair, look to the rules of obedience. You cannot fill them. Look to the experts of health and life. Death still comes. Look to any expectation of the betterment of mankind or an improving world. In these ways can only come a greater and increasing despair. Some people look at this revelation from John, the apocalypse, if you prefer, and they are really scared by it. John was revealing to God's little children, people just like you, that terrible things are going to happen. They look far worse than what most people can imagine for themselves. It's hard to understand why God would bring you this stuff. But fear is not why. Fear is not the only response to this prophecy. If anything, it is fear that is in us already that God wants to relieve. There is a curse that comes with sin and evil, but even that is not all. There is here. And none of the horror that can be seen through John's eyes is forever. No matter how powerful the storm of life or the hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
inspires you to fear and horror, Christ has come. You know, you should sit down sometimes and just read the whole story at once. No matter how ugly the end times become. No matter how awful they are even now. Christ has come. That's the core of the message there. Sin will end forever as it has already ended for you in Christ. Life such as it is, precarious and terrifying at times, will end as Christ comes again. And when all of it does in the form and curse that it inspires, the new heaven and the new earth will be perfect. In that place, there will be no sin, no harm, no fear, and no death. No mourning for any reason will ever come. In this new place where you will be, life will abound. It will be wonderful and lack nothing. What you will have is joy and perfect love with God and all his people into eternity. You will see, as John did, that the river of life is there, flowing from God himself to fill you up with immortality and revive us all who are faint with death and the curse of sin. Without it, we would perish. Also in this place, you will see the tree of life. It has been out of reach since the day Adam sinned, but in that day it will feed you and all the nations with life that cannot be taken, life that will not end. The river of life comes to you now in your baptism. The tree of life feeds you now from the altar of Christ's body and blood. Death and condemnation are defeated. In the face of fear and evil and sin and death, Christ has come and Christ will return. He brings the waters of life and indeed is the water that gives life here and now. He brings the light of life and is indeed the source of all light and life in this world and the next. As you read through Revelation and see so many things to fear, things that would come against you now, as they did in John's time, don't miss what has been given to you. This book has been given to take away your fear and give you hope. In all things, Christ is and will be victorious. Satan has already been defeated. Sin has no power over you. Death has been slain. These are the gifts of God in Christ. He has overcome and all will be perfect in him. I'm sure you have heard the stories and watched movies that have curses as a running theme. There are the mummy curses for those who open sacred tombs. There are the treasure curses for those who mess with secret places to protect the treasures of people long dead. There is the curse of the gypsy's evil eye for those who mess with that long persecuted people. Now, these things seem a little silly to most people. It is as though there is no curse that needs our attention. But there most certainly is a curse that applies directly to you. You cannot ignore the curse of sin. Because of sin, evil is loose in the world to make us all miserable. Because of sin, we ourselves are pretty good at cursing ourselves. On top of that, Satan looks at our sin and does two things that he is particularly powerful to do. 
He eggs on and entices sin from us all because we like to sin. He also accuses us of sin every chance he gets. So we're afraid of death and condemnation, which in turn causes us to sin, avoiding those things, especially death itself. Also, as a result of the curse of sin, we do eventually die. And having died, we face the judgment of our sin. These are fearful things and curses to be sure. But Christ has come and he will return with the waters of life and the tree of life and the light of life. Sin's curse will end and death will be no more. That will end all curses and consequences. That's a heaven and earth we can love and long for. It is ours in Christ. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.